Well, we've been making our way through Jesus' last words or phrases from the cross. And last week, we looked at Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in it, we found the assurance that even though God disciplines us, even though he allows us to go through hard times, he does not forsake us. And so this week, we're going to talk about the next phrase that Jesus speaks from the cross, uh, which is something I think we all can identify with, uh, the cry of, I thirst. Uh, I was thinking about thirst this week, and it took me back to the days when I used to run long distances, and uh, that was a few years ago now, to be sure. Uh, but I remember on those long runs learning that I needed to hydrate myself beforehand or even along the way and, I, and not wait until I felt thirsty to take a drink. Because if you wait until you're thirsty, it's probably too late to get any energy for the rest of your run because your body is actually thirsty before that and it needs hydration before that. I mention all that because whether you realize it or not, we are people who are thirsty, both physically and spiritually. And sometimes we're very aware of our own thirst and we clearly feel it. Uh, But whether we feel it or not, we all have this need to satisfy our thirst, both physically and spiritually. Uh, We're thirsty people, so we might as well admit that. But the question is, will we satisfy our thirst in healthy, godly ways, or will we try to satisfy them in unhealthy ways? And so as we study Jesus' cry from the cross, I thirst, I want us to think about this physically, but also spiritually. What can you learn about Jesus' thirst, or what can you learn from Jesus' thirst? As Jesus speaks this word, it reminds us that Part of what we see happening on the cross is physically a man dying. Uh, Jesus hadn't had anything to eat or drink for hours. He'd lost a lot of fluid from blood and sweat, and so he's most likely dehydrated even before they crucified him. And after hanging on the, uh, in the sun for hours on the cross during the heat of the day, we hear this very human cry for help from John 19, verse 28. He says, I thirst. Or some translations render it, I am thirsty. So literally, Jesus was thirsty. And John shares this detail, if no, if for no other reason, than to remind us that Jesus was fully human. He's also fully God, but John wants to emphasize here that he's fully human. And so, if you're taking notes, the first thing that we can learn from Jesus' thirst is simply to be human is to thirst. This is an important point for John because there are many people during John's life that didn't think that Jesus was fully human. And so when they heard about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, they didn't believe that he was a real man. They thought he was just a spirit of God and that he appeared to them like a man. Uh, These people then were known as docetists, which comes from the Greek word dokio, which means to seem or appear. And some of these people even thought that it was Simon of Cyrene who not only carried the cross for Jesus, but died in his place. So as John is sharing his life story and the good news of Jesus, he hears people around him saying, well, it wasn't a man on the cross. It just 
seemed like a man. It was really just a spirit. And when John hears this, you can almost imagine him saying, no, Jesus was real. He was a real man. He, he was a fully human being who died on the cross. In fact, I even heard him say, I thirst. And I saw a sponge filled with wine pressed to his lips. It was real. So John makes it clear that Jesus is fully human. By sharing these words with us, he shows us that on the cross was a very real human being who died like anybody else would in pain and longing for something to drink. And so this word from the cross is a very human word, and it reminds us that Jesus was fully human because to be human is to thirst. But this entire scenario also gives us instructions on how to deal with our own thirst, because each one of us must decide or choose what to do with our own thirst. You choose what to do with your thirst. Jesus shows us a real humility in his thirst as he's offered something to drink during the crucifixion. Matthew and Mark record the scene in almost identical fashion. Uh, So let's read Mark's account in Mark chapter 15, verses 22 through 24. It says, They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. So Jesus is offered a wine mixed with either gall or myrrh, which means some kind of spice or drug, but Jesus doesn't take it. Now, what was it that Jesus was offered here? Well, Bible scholars have two different thoughts on this. The first is that the Roman soldiers were offering Jesus something that would make him vomit, which would have made his crucifixion even more painful, but it would have also caused his death to come sooner. And the problem with this idea is that if the Romans really wanted to inflict more pain on Jesus, they would have simply forced him to drink it or poured it into his mouth, but they didn't. The second idea, which I think makes more sense, is that the mixture of wine with either myrrh or gall was a drug that would have eased Jesus' pain and would have also slowed his breathing and his heart rate. It would have made him more comfortable during his crucifixion, and it would have also caused his death to come sooner. And so Jesus refuses this drink, showing us that he doesn't want to deaden his pain here. He doesn't want to take the easy road. Instead, he wants to feel the fullness of what was coming. And so in his thirst, Jesus, of all people, could have decided to satisfy himself or obey his thirst. He could have decided to come off the cross or at least take a drink of what was offered him here. But instead of being drugged up, Jesus wanted a clear head. He wanted to feel the pain He wanted to be able to experience the loneliness and this isolation that was to come. And so some of you may feel socially isolated in this time, but this is the ultimate isolation, and Jesus wants to face it head on. And as we look at Jesus' life, this really makes sense, because Jesus never avoided the pain and the suffering that others experience. Uh, He never took the easy road. And and while he could have gained wealth and power and glory in this world, 
He chose to give that up and to be obedient to God. Um, he had no place to call home. He had no wealth, no livestock, no fields, no vineyards, no family, or anything else that the world would consider wealth. Instead, he was poor, and he lived a life of a simple traveling teacher. So while other religious leaders enjoyed the privileges and the trappings of status and position, Jesus refused it all. He never took the easy way, or and we know that he called all those who follow him to also deny themselves the wealth and the power of this world. Jesus said that if anyone wanted to follow him, they too had to, den- to deny themselves. And part of that self-denial meant not taking the easy road. And I think that's interesting because in our lives, we seem to constantly be looking for the easy road. I mean, what can we consume that will satisfy our thirst or at least dull our pain? And there are all kinds of things in our world that promise this for us. You know, maybe it's gambling or playing the lottery, which would give us an easy road to luxury or comfort. Or maybe it's food or drugs or pornography or things that we consume and then we develop an addiction And there are a lot of things like that that are very seductive for us, and they can lure us all in because most of us want the easy way. We want the easy road. We want the quick fix. And so our thirst can tempt us to fill up on things that will not satisfy us in the end. And it won't satisfy us because we thirst for something deeper. And we were made and meant for something deeper. Naturally, we want something to make us feel good or at least deaden the pain, but that's not the way of Jesus. When Jesus was offered all the wealth and the power and the comfort and the glory of this world, if you remember that story, he turned it down and he made his home among the poor. And so this is how the way of Jesus is so countercultural. While the, the world says, take a road of comfort and ease, satisfy your thirst with all the things of this world, Jesus says, Deny yourself. When the world says live for yourself, Jesus says live and sacrifice for others. And so the way of Jesus doesn't take the easy way out. That's what we see in the cross. It's not the easy way out. And even when Jesus is offered something to ease his pain, he says no. And Jesus could have come off the cross. He could have easily saved himself. He could have easily chosen a different path without thirst or suffering. Even at this moment, he could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he chooses to experience the fullness of pain and loss, just like you and I do. And he chose in this moment to not only be fully human, but to be fully humble. Each day, you and I face choices of what to do with our own hunger and thirst. Will we choose to satisfy our own selfish desires or humbly sacrifice for others like Jesus? Now, uh, some of you listening right now, you might be at a point wondering, Mark, where are you getting all of this from? I mean, Jesus was dying on a cross. He was thirsty. Why are you making such a big deal out of this? And if you're thinking that right now, I get it. I understand. Um, So I think that's a very fair 
question to ask. Let's go over to John chapter 4, verses 7 through 14, and I want to show you that this isn't the first time that Jesus mentions thirst. And what he says here in John 4 is pretty shocking. He's talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. Uh, She has a container for water. He apparently doesn't have one. And let's start reading at verse 7. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, and hear this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus, experiencing thirst at the well with the Samaritan woman, points her to a different water which he provides that will satisfy eternally. Jesus knows that all of us thirst physically. He knows that we're going to keep on getting thirsty again and again. But here he promises in himself a remedy for our spiritual thirst. This is good news. So when we observe Jesus saying, I thirst, it reminds us that to be human is to thirst and that we have a choice of how to satisfy our constant thirst, which is very important, But most importantly, Jesus indicates that there is a thirst that can only be satisfied by Jesus. And I want you to know, I'm not just taking this from one passage. In John 7, for example, verses 37 through 39, it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So we were created with a hunger and a thirst, and we try to fill it up with all kinds of things which don't satisfy us long term. But Jesus says, I'm the water that can satisfy your thirst eternally. Believe in me, trust in me, invite me into your life, and I will give you the Spirit, which is living water. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Satisfy your thirst. Now, let's go back to Jesus on the cross in John chapter 19, starting with verse 28, because there's something else hidden in the text that I want you to see. It's not only that Jesus is human and that you need to choose him to satisfy your thirst, but John wants us to see something more. Look at how he describes the scene, starting in verse 29. And he is the only gospel writer 
who tells us that this branch that they used to lift the sponge to Jesus' mouth was a hyssop branch. Now, this in itself would be unusual. Uh, a hyssop was a kind of shrub which had branches that would be very difficult to attach a sponge to. But because it was hyssop, it tells us some things. If we go back into the Old Testament, we find that it was the hyssop branch that the people of Israel used to sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial lambs over the doorposts on the night of the Passover. And if you remember that story, in the last of the plagues that God sent on the people of Egypt, God told his people to sprinkle blood over their doors so that when the angel of death moved through the land, it would pass over their homes. The blood was to be applied with a hyssop branch, and so Now, it was a hyssop branch that's being used to lift wine to Jesus' mouth. John is helping us connect Jesus with the Lamb of God. John wants us to see that it's now the blood of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, that will save us. In fact, he's the only gospel writer who calls Jesus the Lamb of God. He wants us to see that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb whose blood shed on the cross takes away our sin and gives us life, just as the Passover lamb, whose blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of the house, gave the people of Israel life. Also in the Old Testament, hyssop was the branch used in the ceremonial washing of the priests. It was used to purify people so that they could enter into the presence of God. And so once again, John wants us to see that it's through the death of Jesus that we're purified and our sins are cleansed and washed away. And he makes that clear to people in 1 John, his letter to the church. Uh, Look at 1 John chapter 1, last part of verse 7. He says, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So this detail of the hyssop is very important and it helps us to see what's taking place on the cross Uh, It's not just a human being, Jesus, dying, but it's God himself, earlier identified by John the Baptist as the Son of God and the Lamb of God, dying to take away the sin of the world. John clearly wants us to see that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin and purifies us from that sin and delivers us from death and brings us into God's kingdom. You know, many of our lives have changed and been disrupted by the COVID-19 crisis. And we're going to continue to struggle with that. We're going to continue to, to work our way through that. But today I'm wondering if God might want to use it as an opportunity in your life. I don't want to minimize your hardship. I don't want to minimize your trial. But is there an opportunity right now that's more important than economic crisis, more important than our dreams or our plans, more important than life or death. I believe there is. Because God, your creator, understands that you are thirsty. Of course he understands it. He created you. And not only does he know that, but he knows how you have tried to satisfy that thirst in your life. He knows all the different ways. And he knows that there's a place in you that can only be satisfied in him. So whether you believe in him or not, 
He still invites you to come to him. He gives you the choice of what to do with your own hunger and thirst. And he waits for you to come to him. To confess your sin. To believe in him. To follow him with your life. And so I want to encourage you. Do that today. Stop this video right now. Pray to the Lord that he would fill your thirst. That he would satisfy it. Because in Revelation 22... The end of the story, the last chapter of the Bible, we're given a picture of the church, all the believers in Jesus, being portrayed there as the bride. And Jesus is the bridegroom. And the bride, God's people, are anticipating the arrival of Jesus. And Revelation 22, 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty Come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life.